The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest, greatest edition of The Chris Sheeran Show on YesNetwork.com and iTunes. Chris Sheeran, Lou DiPietro with you. And uh, we have a special guest as well. He's from Fox Sports, the MSG Network. He does play-by-play, uh, NFL on Fox. You may know him as Kenny Moose and Goose. <laughs> uh, Kenny Albert. Kenny, thanks for joining us, buddy. No problem, guys. Also does the MLB on Fox, uh, Rangers, Knicks, obviously, in the NHL on NBC. <laughs> and that's what we're going to talk about right now, Game 7. Kenny, if I, if I see one more tweet or, or if I hear one more person give the Rangers record in Game 7s at Madison Square Garden, I think I might pull my eyes out of their sockets, um, especially in this series. I mean, I don't know how you feel, but considering how you don't know what's going to happen from game to game, let alone period to period between these two teams, I think you kind of have to stash that you know seven straight Game 7 thing at home. Uh, put that on a shelf for this one, don't you think? Have the Rangers played any Game 7s at home in recent years? I'm not sure. Don't remember. Um, but no, in any event, <laughs> uh, we all know the record. We all know Henrik Lundqvist's record in elimination games. And I think what it does is, is give the team confidence. I think you know, the other players know uh, that it's been done before, and so many of them have been part of those Game 7s and in, in a number of cases in, in five or six over the last four years. Uh, but I do agree with you, Chris, that it really doesn't mean anything once they hit the ice tonight because there's another very good team on the other side. And this series has been so crazy as far as the lack of the momentum carryover, not only from game to game, but uh, period to period. But I do feel that, that the whole ice does have an effect in a game seven. I remember John Tortorella, whenever he was asked about home ice advantage in the playoffs, he would say it doesn't really mean anything until game seven. And I tend to agree because so often in the hockey playoffs, you see the visiting team go in and win one of the first two, and then the road team goes in and wins game three or four. And, and when it comes down to a game seven, though, the percentages are with the home team. They are with the team that scores first, although Alex Ovechkin did score the first goal in game seven in the Rangers' last series. So um, and on one hand, I say throw all the records out the window, but on the other hand, I think it, it can give the players on the Rangers confidence and, and the home ice certainly could be a factor as well. And Kenny, you mentioned it, you know, the, the home team sometimes loses home ice advantage early and then gets it back. That's exactly what happened in this series. But let me, let me ask you a question that's on, in that vein of, of taking Game 7 out the window. There's a lot of guys on this Rangers team that have been through this two, three, four times now. There's a lot of guys on the Lightning team that were with them for the first two, three, four times they went through this Game 7 barrage the last couple of years. Does the fact that Brian Boyle and Anton Strallman and Callahan and so on and so on know these situations and, and know these, these records and these myths themselves, does that negate any part of it, knowing that, hey, we know they're this good because we helped them do most of it? No, you're right. Those guys were, were a big part of it. Matt Carl's had great success in a Game 7. Braden Coburn's had great success in Game 7s. Philpool has played in seven Game 7s now, winning four out of the seven. And this Lightning group went through it in the first round. They, they had a win at Game 6 against Detroit on the road and then they won a Game 7 against Detroit at home. And Boyle and, and Strawman and, and Callahan prior to last year were a big part of those Ranger Game 7s. And, and, you know, you look at the coaches. Dino's 5-1 and one in Game 7s. Cooper's 1-0. So they both had success as well. But, uh, you know, the, with the extra day, Chris, as you know, um, there were, you know, 24 extra hours for the, for the fans and the media to get ready for this one. And there are so many storylines out there, and I think we all can't wait until – 8.15 comes tonight, and they finally dropped the puck. Yeah, it can't come fast enough, Kenny. And, you know, 
I, I, Ajita 18, Chris nothing so far this <laughs> season in the uh, NHL postseason. It, it has been just, it, with the exception of the Penguin series, which they won in five, I mean, that cap series, one goal games left and right. It, can we just get a 7 nothing win tonight, and can it be over by the second period? I know it's not going to happen, but the, the one, you brought it up, with the first question I, what I, that I asked you, and that's Henrik Lundqvist. I, I have to go back to him. And, you know, first first thing I want to ask you is, can you believe that people wanted to put Talbot in after he gave up those 12 goals in two games, A? And B, you know, you hear Derek Stepan uh, this morning saying that he's the best goalie in the world. How much faith, how much confidence do you have as players in front of you when you have Hank between the pipes? Well, let me answer three different questions there. First of all, <laughs> um, even if it is seven nothing in the second period, and you're a Ranger fan, oh, I know, there. I know. There's no calming down. <laughs> it, trust it was me. Six three. It was six three with six minutes left the other night, and Tampa Bay goes on the power play when Girardi shoots the puck over the glass. Uh huh. And I'm thinking to myself, this thing isn't over yet. It's going overtime. Yeah. On the power play, and then they get another one. All of a sudden, it's six five. So <laughs> that, that's how, that's how crazy this series is. Absolutely. Been. As far as the, the Lundquist Talbot, that was just ludicrous. And, and, and I love Cam Talbot. He did an unbelievable job this year. If not for Cam Talbot going 16-4-3 and three, when Lundquist was hurt, the Rangers don't have home ice advantage. Right. There's no just, President's Trophy. You're absolutely he, he right. Was, he was unbelievable. I mean, he was one of the MVPs of the team. However, in my opinion, it was ludicrous that people were bringing that up and all of a sudden you sit Lundquist. Because I don't blame him for game two. There, there were so many stupid penalties, which the players alluded to. Um, there, there were three power play goals. There was a shorthanded three-on-five breakaway. There was another goal after another power play had just expired. So that, that game wasn't Henrik Lundqvist's fault. Game three, he was certainly disappointed with himself. You know, right, he, he said that afterwards, after right. That was a different story. And as far as Henrik being the best goalie in the world, I agree with Eric Stepan. Uh, we've seen him do it now ten times in a row at home in elimination games, 15-3 and three in 18 elimination games overall. And go back to the 2006 Olympics in Torino as well. I was there, so I witnessed a lot of it. Um, elimination games, single elimination games in the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and then the gold medal game against Finland. So when, when the stakes are at their highest, that's when this guy's at his best. Yeah, the guy's been the face of the team for a decade now. I mean, there, there, there's no way you could sit this guy. I think Joe Beninko had, had the best uh, way to look at it, is if you're taking your franchise quarterback after a couple losses to start the season, and he just took you to a Super Bowl, and you're putting him on the bench. I mean, by, that... the way, by the way, do you remember what happened in the seven seasons prior Lundquist joining the Rangers. Ooh. They missed the playoffs all seven ooh, years. Ooh, I do, I do, I do. They didn't do anything. Lou is raising and, his hand. And since, <laughs> since he's gotten here, and, and in October 2005, it's funny, I've heard him reference this on a couple of occasions, he was ready to look for real estate, you know, an apartment in Hartford. He thought he was going to start in the American Hockey League. Wow. That certainly was not the case. Kevin Weeks was the starter, and Lundquist took over about a month in. But seven straight years out of the playoffs, since his arrival, nine out of ten in, the only one they missed was on that, you know, shootout the last day of the season. In oh God, don't don't remind me. Anybody remember Ole Jokinen? Oh yeah, and, <laughs> and three out of four years in the Eastern Conference Final, a Stanley Cup Final trip last year, a President's Trophy this year, Game Seven tonight. So you talk about you know the great players in Rangers history, and there are a number of them. But uh, certainly, if they win tonight and go to another final, 
Uh, his name has to be right there near the top of the list when you look at what he's done over this last decade. Well, here's the issue, and, and I want to interweave the devils into this too, because back in 1994, I think the Lightning kind of have that devil's vibe, like they're on the cusp of having a long run you know, for playoffs to come, and the Rangers might steal this one here tonight, go to the Cup, and look, if they win tonight, they still have a tough test, whether it's the Blackhawks or the Ducks, especially oh, the Ducks, absolutely. in the next round. But it just kind of has that feel of back in 94. You know, they won the, they, they had 52 wins back then. They had 53 wins this year. They broke that record this year. I mean, it just seems like all the stars are aligning. I'm trying to tell myself that before the game tonight to put a little positivity into this. But how do you see – they talk about the styles too, Kenny, during the game and how it's changed from game to game in this series. How do you think this is – do you think it's going to be a, more of a clogged-up defensive game, especially in the first period, like the teams feeling each other out? Or is this just going to be like an old-school Western Conference open ice just shootout? Well, getting back to the first question about the 94 Devils, as long as Valerie Zelopukin doesn't come out and score with 7.7 <laughs> seconds left the, in the third period. That's a great comparison, though, because the Devils were a team on the cusp with a, with a, a young goaltender in Brodeur, who was a lot younger than Bishop now, but um, you know, a team that was certainly primed to, to hit the next step. And you know, they said they learned a lot from that series, from losing to the Rangers. I've talked to a number of those players and you know, heard them uh, speak through the years who were on the 94 Devils. And by losing to the Rangers, that did help them get to the next step, and they won the Stanley Cup the next year. In 95, I guess the only difference is from that series to this one is that the Rangers had gone 6-0 and against the Devils during the regular season that year. Right. And then it wound up going 7. This year, the, the Lightning actually won all three against the Rangers. Mm-hmm. So the regular season thing was a little bit different, but it's a good comparison in, in any event. And as far as tonight's game, I have no clue. I mean, when we look at, <laughs> when we look at this series, there was a 2-1 game. There was a 2 nothing game. There was a 6-5 game. A five-one, a seven-three. <laughs> it's crazy, you know. Just even the other night, two-one going into the third period, Ranger fans are on the edge of their seat, and they wind up scoring five goals in in the third period. It's it's just nuts. I mean, you know, Rick Nash seven points in the last three games now. Uh, Derek Broussard five points in Game Six. J.T. Miller four points in Game Six. Uh, the Rangers, you know, have done a very effective job the last three games shutting down the, the triplets line. So it, it's just been crazy. It's one of the you know, wilder series that I've ever been a part of. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, and, and I may be wrong. I've been known to do that from time to time, and a lot of the time. Uh, but it seems like when the Rangers are on the cycle, when they're finishing their checks, when they're forechecking, when they're pressure, when they're making the Tampa forwards play defense, that's when they're having the most success. Is that what the Rangers have to do tonight? Keep the cycle going, keep the puck in the, in the lightning zone, obviously. But that just seems like during the series that I've watched these games, that's when they've had their most success, Kenny. Yes, I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, and the Rangers' fourth line has been a big part of that with, with Shepard and Moore right. and Glass. They've played well in the series. They scored a big goal in game six. And, and you know, aside from, from being effective when you're down low on the cycle, as they've been really all season long, you're also – keeping the puck out of the hands of the Lightning and, and keeping them from using their speed and transition games. So it probably has a twofold effect. Now, talking about that, let, let, me, let me run over to, to Ben Bishop here for a second because he's going to be the man that somewhat ultimately determines how the Rangers do tonight. Is, is it a benefit for him or a drawback? I'm leaning more towards benefit that Game 6 got out of hand so quickly that he basically got the second half of the third period off. Go clear your head. Uh, Vasilevsky came in and didn't 
didn't light up the world, but he at least gave him 10 minutes off and, you know, let Bishop sit there, kind of let it sink in, get over it, and now Game 7, this is the ultimate test. Is that going to be a benefit for him in Game 7? Well, it certainly could be. Uh, in, in the Montreal series, he was also pulled and, and then came back and won Game 6. But uh, they also had the extra day off, and, and Bishop was rumored to be one of the guys that were a bit under the weather. You know, whether or not he was, we'll never know. or might not know until after the series ends, but... You know, if, if you're the Rangers and take confidence from Lundqvist's record in Game 7s and, and in elimination games, you know, if you're Ben Bishop, you have to feel good about playing at the Garden where you've only allowed four goals in the three games in this series as opposed to the 15 that he's allowed in the three games in Tampa. And he's also 3-1 and one at the Garden, actually 4-1 and one now, including the regular season, 2-0 and oh in the regular season, 2-1 and one here. So if you talk about those mental games and, and going through, you know, past positives in your mind, if you're Bishop, you probably feel pretty good about it just based on your past success in the building. But you also know there's a guy at the other end who has done what he's done over the last decade and, and has won his last 10 elimination games at MSG. Yeah, Kenny. And, you know, going back to that point, you just said that they were the, that Bishop was 4-1 and one against the Rangers at the Garden this year. Uh, that, that right there, you know, that's why I said take that Game 7 streak and chuck it out the window because the Lightning are 4-1 and one against the Rangers in their building this year. I mean, that has to be the stat that Ranger fans are looking at and, you know, biting off whatever fingernails they have left as this Game 7 approaches here. Right. You know, you can look at it so many different ways, guys. The Rangers also have gone to Tampa now and won the last two games and scored. I want the game to the be in Tampa, Kenny. That's where I want the game to the be. the best home record in the league this year, so. You know, there are so many numbers out there, and, and you can spin it any way you want, and it all comes down to uh, what happens once they drop the puck at 8.15 tonight. Let me, let me ask you a question going forward. Uh, assuming win or lose, the Rangers will still have one more round against a very tough team, as we mentioned earlier. This is a conversation that John Tortorella actually had with Michael Kay and Don LaGreca on the show the other day. Given they went to the Stanley Cup Finals last year, given they won the President's Trophy, given the way they've performed in the playoffs this year, Win, lose, or draw tonight, if in two and a half weeks there's not a parade down Broadway with the Rangers in the Stanley Cup, is this season a success, a failure, or somewhere in between for this team? It's definitely not a failure. Um, you know, again, we're, we're speaking in hypotheticals because they, they still have a chance to win yep. the Stanley Cup, which is their ultimate goal, you know, after losing it in Game 5 last year. It would be a disappointment because that, that is the ultimate goal, and their motto all season has been changed the ending, and they came within three wins of the Stanley Cup last year. But I think when you look at the last four years, it, it's really been such a, a golden era of, of Rangers hockey. To go to three Eastern Conference Finals in four years, uh, to go to the Stanley Cup Final last year, the President's Trophy. This year you said franchise records and wins and points. You know, once you get down to the Final Four, four tremendous teams. So there's certainly no shame in you know, if they were to lose to this Tampa Bay Lightning squad, it's a, it's a team that also set franchise records for wins and points and only finished five points behind the Rangers. But, yes, it would be a disappointment to not reach the ultimate goal. But only one team can win every year, so I think you have to look at it that way. And it's been a tremendous four years. And whether or not they win the Cup or don't this year, I think moving forward, they would certainly be, you know, one of the favorites, if not the favorite again, come next season. Kenny, uh, back in 1994, a couple of things. I think Game 6 against the Devils was on Sports Channel, and I didn't have Sports Channel. So I had to drive to my uncle's house to watch the game over there. They go down 2 nothing. I'm, you know, 
beside myself watching this thing. And uh, they come back. Messier has the hat trick. They win it. Then game seven against the Canucks. Mm -hmm. My cable goes out at my house. So I don't have sports channel. I get gypped out of game six against the Devils. Then I miss the first two periods against the Canucks in game seven. I was listening to your dad call that game, that game seven, on the radio in a dark basement, (laughs) screaming like a banshee as he called the goals. Now, I might have to rechannel a little 1994, maybe turn all the lights out in the basement and turn on Kenny Albert on the radio and just listen to it the first couple of periods to take me well, back. Well, I, I certainly that? appreciate that you might add to our <laughs> ratings tonight. Uh, I, have, I have a similar story about Game 6 in 94. I was working down in, in D.C. then, and believe it or not, all of the games in that Ranger Devil series were not carried nationally on ESPN. And this is before satellite dishes and direct TV. Right. So early in that series, I remember watching Game 1, which the Devils won in double overtime, but Games 2 through 5, I couldn't see all of them. I would have to call friends for scores and that's uh, couldn't, terrible. Couldn't those games, but games six and seven were carried nationally on ESPN. So I remember, in, you know, sitting in my apartment watching those games. And then I had the opportunity to work uh, the finals for NHL radio that year, along with Sherry Ross. So I was actually at, at Game Seven at the entire series against Vancouver. But we will give it. Dave Maloney and I will give it an extra effort tonight, Chris, because we know. You'll be listening on the radio. Oh, you guys! You guys are always a great listen. I, I love you. I love Don Lagreca. I love Dave. You guys do a tremendous job. The question is, who, who's if if it plays out like '94? Who is Mateau? Is it San Louis? Maybe Keith Yandel is the the acquisition, the, the the late season acquisition from one or two years to to get that game winner. And how about how about both late season acquisitions scoring in Game Six, both Yandel and Shepard? Yeah, right? all along yeah. that Marty San Louis would have a huge goal in these playoffs. Last year, he had eight in the Stanley Cup playoffs, including the overtime goal against Montreal in Game 4 at the Garden, which gave the Rangers a 3-1 lead. He has struggled in these playoffs. He, he did have a big goal down in Tampa, uh, but that's only one of the playoffs. But I've said all along he will have a big moment in these Stanley Cup playoffs, so we'll see if it's tonight against his former team. I remember an, another random story. In 2004, when the Lightning won the Cup, I, I was living in Florida at the time, and the, the promo they played on Sun Sports all the time was the lightning announcer yelling, San Louis, San Louis, when him and LeCavalier and all those guys were down there. And, and I always tied that in with Howie Rose's Meto, oh, <laughs> Meto, yeah. Meto. I hope it's 10 years later for that, too, 11 now. So I hope we, hope we hear another one like that on, on, our, on the good side. Well, tonight. we shall see. Kenny. Well, I think, I think there's a good chance that Howie might be in his car tonight listening to the third period because with Matt Harvey on the mound, Oh boy! I tweeted this yesterday. This might be the quickest <laughs> baseball game in Major League history because you know that Matt will want to get back into the clubhouse to watch the third period. So oh. they might set records tonight. They might stop traffic so we could get to the garden after he gets out of the game. What are you nuts? He might have a helicopter. Yeah, for him. land on the top, Kenny. Thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. Enjoy it. Another Game 7 for you. Hopefully, uh, we'll get a chance for another Game 7 in the Stanley Cup Finals. Thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. That would be great. Thanks, guys. Hopefully we can do it again over the next two weeks. All right, buddy. Take care. So there he goes, Kenny Albert, Game 7. I mean, two best words in all of sports. Uh, Kenny gave you a lot of good stuff there, even a story back in 1994. Uh, Good stuff out of him. Uh, I hope 
that we get to talk to him again before yeah, this is all said I, and done. I just remember my mom not letting me skip the last day of school in 1994 to go to the Rangers. Maybe I had it wrong. He did say Game 6 was televised nationally on ESPN back in 1994. Why Why did I have to go to my uncle's? I'll have to... No, he said it wasn't. Oh, it, it wasn't. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't. okay. Uh, but, yeah. That was my life back then. So I'm. I you know what I am gonna. I love Doc. I did have Sports Channel, so I remember watching. I didn't. But I love Doc. I love Edzo. I love Pierre. I love the team that they have calling doing the doing the TV. But I promise Kenny, I will be listening tonight. I will be listening tonight on the radio. All of my friends from when I worked at NBC Sports are probably disappointed in you, but Kenny Albert is not. So that's important because he's our guest. Now. Exactly. So. And and I'm I'm trying to help out Kenny and and the ratings mm-hmm. as he said. Yes, I'll be I'll be listening to the television broadcast, the radio broadcast, whatever helps them win. I'll, I'll also I'll also be uh, hosting the BP show um, at nine o'clock. Oh, I, I which is probably going to be the fastest BP show in history as well. Like well, Matt no, Harvey. it can't be, but it'll probably be the BP show. <sighs> For most of the second period. Will there be another appearance of the Jacob Lindgren Mississippi State rap video as there was last night in the pregame? Did you see it? During the, the Christian Jacob Lindgren interview. Did you like it? I thought it was great. I I, I, I just I, I will say this. Here's an inside look at the workings of yes. Eric Roldan, the producer of that right. segment, came to my desk Tuesday and said can we get this off of YouTube somehow? And showed me this video, and I had to watch it. And it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life because it was just a bunch of just a bunch of Southern Mississippi boys having a good time rapping the bench mob in full effect. It was uh, quite interesting, to say the least. So uh, I was glad to see it come to light last night on the pregame show. The Yankees' result I didn't exactly enjoy too much, but the pregame show was definitely a, a highlight of my viewing day. Yeah, well, the Yankees, you know, I, they're kind of as hard to figure out as this series between the Rangers and Lightning. They sweep the Royals, mm-hmm. and then they go out to Oakland, um, and CC Sabathia, who was lights out for two starts, has now, you know, and he, it's not like he pitched bad for the entire game. I think he gave up five hits over the first five innings and a run. He had a couple of bad innings. He got late. Which is right. which is the which has been his mo, and it goes back to something we talked about weeks ago. Here, where I said, you know, I had a differing opinion that you did on leaving him in in Detroit, right? In his was was it a second or third it, start? Yeah, it was the sixth inning. Yeah, and he had seventy eight yep. pitches, something like that. And that was what a second or third start of the year, and we we disagreed about right. whether or not to leave him in and all that because you have to see what he's got. Right now. Flash forward to, to to the now and to last night, and that's been his M.O. The late innings is where he's he's losing it. It's a good thing that you know now where this is coming from, because if you need him in August, September, there's going to be a lot quicker hook for CeCe Sabathia, unfortunately, if, if something like last night starts to happen again. Yeah, well, it's got to come sooner now, and maybe, maybe CeCe Sabathia is that guy now who gives you five... Solid innings. Uh, Jarrett Wright did it for an entire season. Right. He was six innings and in after five. Yep. You know, maybe you let him go out there for the six, but as soon as the first batter gets on, you got to yank him. But the same breath, you could say that the the inning that he gave up the Laurie home run, 
He gave up a leadoff double. He mm. retired the next two really yep. quick. And just threw a bad changeup. Threw a bad changeup. And Laurie, it was like Ivan Drago. Everything he hits, he destroys. That was, that was yeah. tattooed out there to left. I, I just can't figure them out. I can't well, figure the Yankees out. They, they, they lose to the Rangers. They got swept, right, mm-hmm. by the Rangers mm-hmm. at home. Then they sweep the Royals. Who had the best record in the league coming into that series. And the Rangers stunk coming in at the time. And then the Royals have the best record mm-hmm. in the American League. Sweep and, them. And they, they went bonanza in the first inning on Monday, and that set the tone. One. Yeah. yeah. And then they, you know, it looked, okay, we're back. We're hitting, you know, we're fine. And I'm saying we because I'm making myself the Yankees. I'm not saying we as in the we that whatever. The royal we. The royal we. Which is really weird because it was against the Royals. Anyway. Um, yeah. And I called they... the sweep a royal flush. I, I'm full of puns, so <laughs> you're all good. <laughs> you are P. Diddy. Pun Diddy. Pun Diddy. Um, but the, the Yankees go out to Oakland. Oakland was 1-10 in 10 against left-handed starters. They, were, they had the worst uh, record in one-run games. They had 15 one-run losses to lead the major leagues. And what happens? They beat a lefty. And they win a one-run game. <laughs> Another reason Bingo. why you should take that Game 7 nonsense yeah. and put it on a shelf. Well, Jack Curry tweeted this, I believe, the other day. At, at the road the Yankees had taken to 25-22 and 22 prior to heading out west. They started 3-6. and six. Right. Then they went on an 18-6 and six run. Mm-hmm. Then they were 1-10 mm-hmm. in the, the, the road trip and then the, the three games against the Rangers. And then they sweep the Royals. So this is... I, I I forget who I forget which reporter it was. I think it was Bill Madden. Kind of called them a Jekyll and Hyde team on Wednesday in Joe Girardi's post game because they are KNS Yankees. Who are these Yankees? <laughs> yeah, KNS Yankees is right. I mean, it's, in any language, when things are good, and Joe Girardi's answer was great. He said, "You know, I've heard that you're never as good as when you're playing great, and you're never as bad as the way we've played at times this year. We're probably somewhere in the middle. We just have to figure that out." All right, and, and baseball does even out over 162 games, but it's just funny that here we are, almost 50 in. And we've got, you know, two horrendously sub-500 periods of 10 games and then an 18-6 and six run in the middle. And that, pretty much, is the AL East in a nutshell this oh, yeah. year. And I just thought about it this morning, and I'll bring up what Joe and Evan were talking about in a second because that kind of sparked something in me. Uh, but the Yankees, <clears throat> in first place right now, whoever comes out of the American League East, it's going to be the division winner in the playoffs. There's not going to be a wild card. No. You look at the rest of the American League, the Yankees are not winning a wild card spot. If they want to get into the postseason, they have to win a division. Now, having said that, okay, would you, and I'm asking you, the fans, and you, Lou, the driver, who, what would you rather do? Okay? See, in my estimation, the Yankees have a lot of prospects on deck that could do a lot of damage in years to come. Mm-hmm. Okay, Joe and Evan. I wrote an article about that, about Slade Heathcott and Jake Belingren yesterday. Want to trade prospects for Cole Hamels. Nope. For John Neese. <clears throat> nope. Listen, this, Yankee fans, I'm, I'm begging you and I'm pleading with you. When the trade deadline comes and goes, and the Yankees, you know, if they're in it, they go get a bat for a mid-level prospect, do not expect Brian Cashman to use a bazooka to kill an ant just to get into the playoffs this year. 
in, in my body, in my mind, you need to shovel a little poop in order to get back to the roses. Okay? And, and, and I think the Yankees don't need to overreact to get into the playoffs this year. I know that's the goal, to win a World Series every year. I get it. But you might have, and I'm just, I don't know. No one knows. But you might have another dynasty waiting on the farm. Yep. And I don't think you should mortgage that dynasty yep. for uh, uh, you know, a, a mediocre run in the 2015 playoffs. Yep. I'd rather, and this is just me, and I'll let you talk about it because you wrote the article. I'd rather not make any big moves and see what we can do with what we have this year in 2015. And if we get there with the, uh, with the staff that we have in the 2015 season and we make the playoffs winning the AL East, fine. I don't want Cole Hamels. I don't want any retreads. I don't want to send... You know, Garrett Cole would look really good in a Yankee uniform. <laughs> That's why they drafted him in the first round in 2008. I know. I know. <laughs> and he went back and then yeah, the Pirates. He went to and then the Pirates school. Yep. I, I, I got I gotcha. But a bad example on my part. Uh, but that's the first name that popped into my But head. hey, it's relevant because he, he would. A.J. Burnett, Ian Kennedy faced each other the other day, or yesterday, by the way, on Thursday. Hmm. A.J. Burnett won. Hmm. Ian Kennedy's two and five. Just thought I'd bring that up. Former Yankees on different teams, Pirates. It's always Padres. fun. It's always fun when that happens. Actually. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Former Yankees all over the league. But anyway, that—that's what I would do. I, and I know everybody wants to get into the postseason, and I know it's been a drought. Uh, and after you talk about this, I want to bring up another asinine comment that I heard on Sports Talk Radio Certainly. about the Yankee manager. But first, before we get to Joe Girardi, this about the 2015 and moving forward. I agree with you. Hundred percent. Here's why. You look at a guy like Cole Hamels. If the Yankees go out and get a starting pitcher at some point this summer, even we won't say July 31st. We'll say sometime in the next couple months. And don't forget, you got Nova and and, and Tanaka comes back and next Tanaka week. And Luis Severino just got promoted to AAA. As I was, you know, I was just about to say that that the, you know the one of the big parts of that possible coming dynasty is now looking at the glass ceiling, ready to shatter it because he's in AAA now. I don't want to name names specifically because I don't want to e- either be accused of tampering or, like, you know, put hopes in their head. But look at a guy like Aaron Harang this year, what he's done with Philadelphia. They stink. The, the Phillies, to call the Phillies bad would be like a slap in the face to bad teams. That's how bad they are. As good as, as what's that family guy thing? That's how as bad they've been now? Yes, exactly. Yeah. But you look at what he did this this what he's done this year. I know the Yankees beat him up the other day, but you look at what Chris Young has done the last year and change in Seattle and Kansas City. That is the kind of arm that the Yankees will need, hopefully, in the later season. And by that kind of arm, I mean this: Michael Pineda is your ace. If Masahiro Tanaka is finally healthy, even if he's not the Tanaka of, of last year, if he's somewhat close. He's a very good number two. Nathan Avaldi is developing. His ERA is still high, but he wins games. He gets deep in games. He's developing. And he got Nova. Okay. Adam Warren has been amazing the last two weeks after a, a kind of rocky start. You've got Nova who will be coming back. You've got Capuano who will probably be out of the rotation soon enough, but is capable of filling in for a start here or there. You've got CeCe who God only knows what he's going to give you. But the type of arm they're going to need is that back end – 
keep us in the game, six inning kind of guy. So an Aaron Harang, a Chris Young, a guy like that is also going to only cost you one of those mid-level, low-level prospects. You look at what Alfonso Soriano brought to the table in 2013, and that cost Corey Black, who at the time was in high A. He's now, I believe, in triple A with the Cubs, and he, like... Oddly enough, he ended up pitching the the winning game when the Daytona Cubs won the uh, Florida State League Championship that year, which kind of was one of those, oh, look at that, Corey Black, you know, kind of <laughs> things. And I'm not saying he's not a good pitcher, but I'm just saying, like, he was not a highly touted prospect. He was a college arm that was in high A a year and change after he got drafted. That's the kind of prospect you'll have to give up for those guys. That's the kind of prospect I think Brian Cashman is willing to give up. Like you said, the next dynasty could be on the doorstep. So you go back to what Kenny said about the Rangers, where this is a golden era, three out of four conference finals, a Stanley Cup final, a President's Trophy. Yes, they traded Callahan for San Luis, and they've lost guys along the way, but Zuccarello's been a big part of this um, over the last couple of years until this Stanley Cup playoffs when he's got hurt. The defensive guys, Girardi, Stahl, McDonough, ascending to captain, have been there for, for the crux of it. The Brassards and the Stepons and those guys, you know, they traded Artem and Isimov and a couple of the other younger guys years ago, but that group is largely responsible for this golden era after they went through the Michael Nylanders and the Razavals and the, and the Chris, Go, uh, Chris Juries and Scott Gomez's and, and yada, 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 Ugh. yada, yada. Maybe that's where the Yankees are now. Maybe the Carlos Beltrans and Steven Drews of the world are the Michael Razavals and the yeah, I, Scott I, Gomez and Chris Juries of the world leading to Aaron Judge and Severino and Lindgren and Heathcott and maybe Mason Williams or Tyler Austin and Greg Bird being the McDonough, the Stahl, the Girardi, the Zuccarello that I bring it that. to the forefront. I truly believe that. And I was down in Scranton recently. Uh, I talked to Jacob Lindgren. I talked to Rob Ref Snyder. Um, and you know what? I, I don't think it's fair for someone to look at a stat sheet and just proclaim that Rob Ref Snyder is not a defensive second baseman in the major leagues or even in the minor leagues. No, because then you could point to game film and say Didi Gregorius is not a major league shortstop based and, on two months in the Bronx. And someone on the radio said that today. And it really got under my skin because I went down there, I talked to the kid, I talked to the guy that's helping him with his defense, and he said it's like night and day since the beginning of the season. Has he made 11 errors? Yeah. yeah but it's easy to go to a stat board and not see the guy play and just, oh, he's made 11 errors already? He's not even a minor league second baseman. That is an asinine statement. Yep. He's um, played second base for two and a half years. He's played second base for two and a half years. He's an outfielder. Yeah. Now he's a second baseman. Yep. He's learning. And I'm telling you right now, Yankee fans, in my 10 to 15 minute sit down with him, I'm telling you right now, when he comes up and, and – He's John, not going back. No. John Sadak, who is the play-by-play voice of the scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders, uh, a personal friend of mine, the PR director, and a former Rowan, a fellow Rowan graduate – I said to our producer, Eric Roland, I said, you know what, Eric? He reminds me a lot of Jeter. I'm not saying he's going to be a Hall of Fame 309 hitter, okay, for his career, 310, whatever it was. But his demeanor, the way he handles himself, Yankee fans are going to adopt this guy as the next captain mm-hmm. of this team. Sadak comes over. And he says, how did it go with Ref Snyder? And I told him everything, and I said that. And he goes, before I said what I said, he goes, doesn't he remind you of like a Jeter type? Exactly. Mm-hmm. When this kid comes up, and he will hit. I know he'll hit. He, he, 
He had a 25 game hitting streak, I think, he, and then he was yeah. one for his last 20. He's two. He's, he's 277, 348, 386 on the season down in Scranton in 41 games. He's having a good year. Yep. Um, I, I do believe he's going to be called up at some point because the Yankees' second base conundrum mm-hmm. right now between Petit and Stephen Drew. You are setting me up for two points. I had planned to make. Who is? That's double how we, trouble. That's how we do, that's how son. We roll. But between Petit and Stephen Drew, who's under the Mendoza line still, and we're almost 50 games in, mm-hmm. correct? Yep. Correct. So I, I do believe at some point the Yankees are going to have to say, I, mm-hmm. we got to see if this kid can come up here and do something. Just like they did with Heathcott. You know, Ellsbury goes yep. down, Heathcott comes up. He's played well. He's got the quad now, but he's played well when he was in there. This This isn't – you mentioned before about – you know, Brian Cashman and what he's done, and then you have to sometimes shovel the poop a little bit. Theoretically, what's the worst that happens to the Yankees this year? They don't make the playoffs. Well, they've done that the last two years. Exactly. So is that really the worst thing that can no. happen? No. It's This isn't 2013 where you're coming off, uh, you know, a World Series in 09, three straight playoff appearances, uh, an ALCS um, right. in 2012. Right, lost to the Tigers. You know, mm-hmm. uh you're not coming off this. A Derek Jeter broken ankle. Right. You're, you're not coming off this like good run after the dynasty run after this. It's now a time to refresh. You know, every once in a while you got to plant the bumper crop before you get the next, you know, the next staple crop. The two points I was going to make are one. Yes, Ref Snyder is very Jeter-esque. Derek Jeter made, what, 50 errors <laughs> in his rookie year? I know Ref Snyder's now four years into the minor leagues. But he played a little bit in 2012, and then two years at the lower levels, and now the last year and change at Scranton. He's just, making errors, but he's learning. Just one thing before you continue. I think what we get caught up in, especially on Sports Talk Radio and then everybody who listens, there's a narrative that's put out there. Mm-hmm. And unless you actually go physically to these places and talk to the people that are actually working with the kid, yep. you just can't make a blanket statement. And, and say that he's not even a minor league second. That is so stupid yeah. to say over 50,000 watts. I can't even begin to tell you how stupid that is. If you have no feelers down in Scranton, if you don't talk to anybody down there, you can't say that about the kid. And his work ethic is bar none. Everybody I talk to, Dave Miley, the manager, um, even Aldridge, the pitching coach. I'll, to, I'll I, throw in Tony Franklin because I talked Tony to him about Franklin. it last year. I, we've talked to everybody. This kid is nonstop. He's 24-7. This is his life. He wants to be in the Bronx. He wants to make a difference once he gets up here. Once you see the feature that we did and you hear what this kid went through, not only in his life but in his baseball life, mm-hmm. when he gets up here, and he gets a number, whatever that number may be at this point. It might be in the 80s, considering how many freaking numbers the Yankees are retiring. 55. But, <laughs> or 17. That seems to go around. I, that's my number. And you know what? If he comes up and gets 17, I will be the happiest boy in all the land. Because after the end of the interview, I looked at him and I said, Rob, you know, you're the type of guy that New York will embrace. Mark that down right now. And I told him. I said, maybe it was a little hokey at the time, but I said... Whatever number you get is the number that'll be on my back. And he just kind of smiled and laughed it off. But yeah, he's he wearing said, he's been wearing he's worn twenty four. He's right. worn a couple of numbers down. But he there. said thank you, mm-hmm. and you know yeah. it, it, it. You could see that it meant something to mm-hmm. him. So I he's don't know. he's great, and I've I've had a lot of conversations with him over the last couple of years I too. Know, both in spring really, training, yeah, and training. Yeah, we have you know we have a good rapport. 
Um, and yeah, he will be that kind of guy. I, I agree. Doesn't that get under your skin, though? It does. And and here's why I said this, because when I broke in when you were in the middle of your, your setup there, I said that you could look at film and say Didi Gregorius is not a major league shortstop. Correct. I mean, you look at the flip throw he made the other day at first base that scored the run for Kansas City that luckily did not snap Dallin Batances' ERA streak. Right. And Girardi was like, oh, you know, it might be a little better if you're an option quarterback, but if he makes a good throw, it's he's got him, so I don't mind that. Somebody asked Didi in the clubhouse about it, and he just goes, yeah, why not? And that's a like to me. I was like, really? Why not? It's a four-one game in the eighth inning, and that's a danger. You eat that ball, like eat that ball. You know, there, you you can look at that narrative. You can look at Chase Headley has what nine errors in fifty forty-nine games that the Yankees have played when he had eight last year. Yeah. I mean, I you you look at Chase Headley throw the ball sometimes. You're like, ooh, and and then you know I, I mentioned that to someone in the press box, and then here we go a couple weeks ago. One of the Yankees beat guys writes an article where he's talked to Joe Espada about it. And yes, they identified a possible mechanical flaw when Headley throws the ball that's causing all these throwing errors. You can fix it. It can be fixed. One thing that can't necessarily be fixed is hitting. If you can hit, you can hit, and you will hit. And Ra- and Ref Snyder could hit. And if you can hit, you're playing the middle infield for the Yankees right now. There you go. That That's the perfect point right there. So this, this, is, this was the other point I was going to bring up. This is something I wanted to talk about because... If you were to talk, call, text, tweet, run into Doug Williams on the street. Who's hosting <clears throat> um, Daily News Live tonight at 5 o'clock, by the way. Okay. Um, Just thought I'd throw that out there. Anchorman. I know. I, know. Um, I didn't mention it. Here's, here, here's, here's the point I was going to make. If you run into, talk, to text, tweet, whatever, Doug, mm-hmm. and ask him, what's Lou's opinion on Brian Roberts? He knows that I slaughtered Brian Roberts off the record last year because he stunk. Let's put it flat out. Brian Roberts stunk last year for the Yankees. He did. Brian Roberts, last year, in 91 games, 348 plate appearances, 317 at-bats, and here comes the stat guru. Hit 237 with a 660 OPS, five dingers, 21 ribbies, 16 doubles, four triples, so a lot of extra base hits. Out of his 75 hits, 25 were extra bases. 40 runs, 28 walks to 53 strikeouts, about a 1-2 to two ratio, not terrible. Seven stolen bases, still had a little bit of speed, played okay defense at, at second. Steven Drew this year in 44 games, 165 PAs, 148 ABs. 162, 232, 311 slash line. Five homers, 15 RBIs. 24 hits. Seven doubles, five homers. So 12 of his 24 hits are for extra bases. Give him that. 14 walks, 34 strikeouts. If you add in last year when he came over, when the Yankees, after four months, finally jettisoned Brian Roberts in favor of a shortstop who had never played second base in his life. In 90 games, 320 plate appearances, 288 at-bats through yesterday. He's hitting 156 with an OPS just north of 500. 226, 292 are the, the other slash. So Brian Roberts. Eight homers, 30 RBIs. So right now. Brian Roberts is Dwarfing this guy so, in numbers. So right now, if Steven Drew goes five for five with five home runs tonight, he's still not Brian Roberts. Wow. And the Yankees decided that he was a better option coming off no spring training and a dismal first month of the season and change with the Red Sox than Brian Roberts. So the question is, look, Steven Drew says all the right things. Steven Drew was a good player in the past. 
2013, he was a big part of that Red Sox lineup. At 13 homers, hit 260, I think. He know, said he's hit, a good hitter. Hitting ninth. Recently, he said he's a good hitter. Yep. They're just not falling. He's hitting them right at him. But if you're the Yankees, he's a one-year, $5 million investment. Brendan Ryan is also a $5 million investment and has given you less than that so far in the year and a half he's been under contract. At what point, if you're the Yankees, do you look at and say, you know what? Really, realistically, you hate to think this way, but realistically, Ref Snyder can't really do worse. He can't. So he's going to have to be added to the 40-man roster anyway because he's going to be Rule 5 eligible as a fourth-year college-drafted player. So come August 1st, if Stephen Drew is still in these doldrums and Didi Gregorius is not doing so well and somebody's got to play shortstop against lefties because it ain't going to be Didi because he can't hit lefties, do you bring Ref Snyder up? Do you give him a couple months? Do you make Drew no. the shortstop against lefties? You bring him up in a heartbeat. Ref Snyder is your guy, and I think you just run with him. Seriously. Yeah. Even if the AL East is still the way it is, I think it's the only division in baseball that right now, I think it's top to bottom, three and a half games. And and top to bottom, each team top to bottom is within, what, two games of 500 either way? Right. Right. So So even if it's like that, Again, we go back to my point when this whole conversation started. The Yankees should stand pat. And the Yankees, you know, even if they're in a dogfight to win the AL East down the stretch, Mm -hmm. see what you got in these kids. I'm not talking about Judge and Bird and all those guys at Double A. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about Ref Snyder. And Severino maybe now, too. And Severino. And maybe Flores. Yep. Throw him in there, too. Throw him into the mix. Maybe you keep Slade Heathcott around once Ellsbury comes back. Sure. Or bring him back up in September or something like that. I think he's done enough to at least warrant them to have a sit-down. What are we going to do? Yep. Not just send him back. And the other thing you have to— And Mason Williams came up to AAA, too. And the other thing you wonder about, too, involving Mason Williams, Slade Heathcott, Ramon Flores, and we'll throw Tyler Austin in there because he's on the 40-man and also down in AAA, is that Carlos Beltran— even with a 15-game hitting streak going into yesterday, was still hitting 237. So, yeah, he's got a 15-game hitting streak, but there was a lot of one-for-fours in there. He's been replaced. I don't, I don't have the box score from last night in front of me because I went to sleep before the end of the game. I will admit that. It was midnight. Um, he's been replaced. He'd been sick, and then he'd been replaced in the sixth inning by Chris Young the last couple games for defensive purposes, once in a blowout, and then, you know, the last... He, his, he, he, he doesn't look comfortable in the outfield right now. He's got a hitting streak, but he's hitting 240. Yeah. Does, I, you know, does, does the youth invigoration of a Slade Heath got a Tyler Austin, somebody like that, come September? I think so. You know? Because, you know, you, you look, the one play— A-Rod's I, eventually going to get tired. You're going to need a DH. Right. And, and I know it's kind of harping on this one play, but an Adam Warren start, the, the foul ball down the right field line— Mm-hmm. That he didn't get to. Uh, kind of just gave up. I on. think it was Lorenzo Cain's double on Wednesday. Same thing. That kind of just went over his head. He looked like he never saw it. At some point, the Yankees are going to have to make some big decisions here. Yep. They are. There's th- this. I will say this for those haters. The haters will always point out how the Yankees spend a lot of money and buy things and this, that, blah, 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 blah. And there's a lot of people who are right at times when they say that the amount of money someone is making might dictate their amount, their playing time. If there's a chance for the Yankees to make that make the playoffs without sacrificing the farm and it comes down to 
Slade Heathcott's hitting 350 and Carlos Beltran's hitting 230. There's a tough decision there. Yeah, there is. If it comes down to Luis, Luis Severino has a 250 ERA and eight starts in Scranton over the next two months, and CeCe Sabathia, who's 2-7 and seven with a 567 ERA and averages six innings per start. And by that time, he's maybe... Is worse. Yeah, 4-13. and 13. Yeah, 4-12 and 12 with a 5-3 ERA. I know he's making a lot of money, but you know what? At Who some... gives you a better chance to win exactly. every fifth day? At what point do you make that change? Who gives you a better chance to win playing right field? Who gives you a better chance to win in the middle infield? Who gives you a better chance to win as the bridge to Andrew Miller and Dallin Batances, who should probably both be on the All-Star team already? And make no mistake. Don't think the Yankees aren't sitting there as they honor Bernie Williams and they'll honor Jorge Posada later this year. That they look at that core. And to me, it's the five, not four. Fab five. Bernie is part of that. You can call it the super six. <laughs> Theoretically. Who you can th- throw Paulie in there. O'Neill? Yeah. He was here from 93 to 01. He but was, he wasn't a Yankee. He wasn't a homegrown Yankee. No, he wasn't. But you can, you can throw, I think you can throw him in there because well, he you, turned his career around. You can. Yeah. Uh, minus homegrown guys. All right. Uh, that's fair. Five. That's fair. Fab five. But they're looking at these five guys. Guys who led them, Bernie to four, the rest of them to five World Series championships. You look at those guys, and you look at what you have on the farm right now. Because let's not forget, the farm, for a good period of time, wasn't so great. Hmm? Wasn't. But now it is. Or it was great in the lower levels where you can't take right. anything. Right, right, right. You have but to take everything with a Now the higher levels are bustling mm-hmm. with talent. Yankee fans might look at this as we need to win the World Series every year, and that's the thing we go to every year. we got to get in the playoffs. we got to win the World Series. You could do that until your head explodes like the guy in Scanners. But here's what you have to do. This is an exciting time to be a Yankee fan right now. First of all, they're in first place. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what the AL East looks like, they're in first place. This could be 1993. 2015 right. could be 1993. The beginning of another right. run. And if, when you're done, I'll go on with that. If you don't make the playoffs this year, or maybe you get in and lose, you get swept in the first round, doesn't matter. And I would rather that. I would rather the Yankees win the AL East this year. And again, I don't want a, a bazooka to kill an ant. I want it with the staff they have right now. Mm-hmm. I want it to get in the playoffs, but I want the kids to be up there to get that feeling of what yep. playoff baseball in October is like. Then, if that happens, then you turn the page to next year, and I know it's crazy. I'm forfeiting a World Series title. Let it go. Like Elsa, let it go. Because you could be sitting on the precipice of another Yankees run here yep and 2011 the yankees did it with how are they going to manage cologne and garcia and hughes and all these guys you know they had nova and you know what they found a way things things worked out the Look yankees at- can juggle the seven starters they've got once right. everybody's healthy because something maybe cc's knee acts up maybe tanaka has some more issues with his elbow maybe Pineda has some issues with his back again you hope not but Maybe Chris Capuano just stinks. I, who knows? But here, look at this rotate. Look at this potential rotation, healthy that you have on this Yankee team. Uh, you could have it this season, but moving even forward down the line, Pineda, as you said, is your ace. Mm-hmm. Tanaka is your two. That's pretty good if Tanaka's healthy. Pretty, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Number three, Nova, 
If he's healthy and he if bounces he's healthy back to and form. he bounces back to form, he's throwing he hit 97 on the gun. Mm-hmm. I think the surgery worked. So there's three. Your four is Avaldi, who we forget about all the time, but he's electric and has great over-the-top yeah. stuff. He, he throws 98. He throws 98 for crying out loud. If they continue to harness him and he's your four, that's and pretty impressive. And then you add Severino as your five? you add Severino and you put Warren back in the bullpen. Mm-hmm. You look at that right there. What other rotation in the AL East and here's what's even comes better. close to that? Here's what's even better about that. This is Michael Pineda's third big league season. So he's not even arbitration eligible yet. So there's three more years of him. Nova's got another year. Right. But then you've got to – but even if he comes back and he's decent this year and decent next year, he might not get a decent long-term contract because of his issues. So you might get him cost-effectively and he might blossom into an even better pitcher. Ovaldi has a couple more arbitration years to go. Tanaka's under contract for five more years after this one. And Severino hasn't even debuted yet, so that's six-plus. Bang. So that not only is that a solid rotation, that could be a solid rotation into 2020 for years to come. Yes. When when Derek Jeter is getting inducted into the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. and the Yankees are winning their you know back to back World Championships in 2019 yeah. when Mo goes in, in 2020 yeah. when Derek with the Jeter new core four of Judge Severino, Ref Snyder, and Bird, Bingo Bang, and Jacob Lindgren. There you go. The reason the reason I wrote that article about Heathcott and Lindgren is this: there's a lot of talk about the dynasty, the core four, this that. A new core four, blah, blah, blah. There will never be another core four. No, there may be four not. guys that come up like that, but there's never going to be another Jeter, right, Mo, Andy, and right, Jorge. Right, right, And Bernie. At the same time. But if you look at this, like I said, this could be 1993. Think five years down the road when the Yankees maybe win a couple more titles. Just say 2019, they're celebrating their second title in three years, just like they did in 90. Right. Okay? But Bernie Williams was there five years before the dynasty started. How long has Brett Gardner been on this team? 2008. 2009, he was kind of a part-time 2008, player. 2008, he got called up. 2009, 2009 he was a part-time, part-time player. player. 2010, he was a full-time starter. Right. It's five years. Mm-hmm. Brett could be Bernie. Lead-off hitter. Important presence in the lineup. He's got four years, right? Four years, so he's got three more after this. Veteran presence. Heathcott and Lindgren are those first group of guys that came up in, you know, 93, 94, 95, the younger guys. The Shane Spencers, maybe, you know, those kind of guys. And then you get Judge. You get Bird. You get Severino. You get Ref Snyder. You get some of the other guys in the lower levels. Jigailo has been raking down in Trenton. Yeah, that's true. Jorge Mateo has like 40 stolen bases already down in, in the low levels. Dude is faster than the Flash, okay? <laughs> but you get these guys, and maybe, the, maybe Severino is your Andy Pettit of your new core four. Maybe Judge and Bird are your, your Jorge and your Jeter or Ref Snyder. You know? Maybe Lindgren is your new Mo, this dominant closer. Batances also qualifies as one of those guys that Absolutely. maybe you know, maybe got here a couple years earlier and he's he's the head of the pack. He's in that Bernie level. You're still gonna have the Jacoby Ellsberries playing the Paul O'Neill role. Right. You're still gonna have the Chase Headleys playing the Tino Martinez role. It was that Great mix between, yep. and you're going to have McCann playing the Girardi role. Grizzled, yeah, grizzled veterans and yep. a young core, and mm-hmm. that's what the Yankees are headed back to. So instead of getting your collective underwear in a bunch, mm-hmm. sit back, relax, take a couple of deep breaths. Notice the standings; they're in first place. They will probably be at or near the top the rest of the season. 
Yep. Just go with it. Ride with it. The past two years, no playoffs. If they don't make it again this year, is it really going to hurt you that bad? Let me throw this at you. A lot of the big contracts, minus Ellsbury and Tanaka, come off the books. Teixeira. Either 2016 or 17. A-Rod is 17. Sabathian. So let's look to 2018. Okay. Okay. Brett Gardner's contract is its last year. Right. Okay. Imagine the 2018 starting lineup of Brett Gardner in his last year out there in left field. Jacoby Ellsbury, who's got three more years to go after that, is out there still patrolling center. Aaron Judge, in his second year, maybe his first full year, and right. is patrolling right field. And you've got Tyler Austin and or Slade Heathcott, who's playing behind Ellsbury Gardner because Gardner's in the last year of his right. deal. Okay? You've got Greg Bird starting at first base in his second year, maybe his first year. Ref Snyder. You've got Rob Ref Snyder, who's maybe three years into his major league career playing second base. You've got Chase Headley in the final year of his contract playing third base with Eric Jagailo. Knocking on the door at AAA, ready to take over, ready to make Headley, and the same for Gardner, a tradable piece if the Yankees need to. Right. At shortstop, who knows? But by that point, Troy Tulowitzki is in the twilight of his career, and maybe the Rockies, after four years of do we trade him or do we not, if you offer him a bag of gum, we'll take it just to finally end the saga. <laughs> Troy Tulowitzki wears number two in honor of Derek Jeter. He's always wanted to play shortstop in the Bronx, so maybe you know, maybe he's a piece you go out and get. You've got Brian McCann behind the plate in if the fourth. If he's not Humpty dumpty by that time. You've got Brian McCann behind the plate in the final year of his contract with Gary Sanchez and or John Ryan Murphy and or whoever. Luis Torrens, perhaps, by that point, knocking on the door. And you've got that pitching staff of Pineda, Tanaka, Nova, if he, if he sticks around, Avaldi, Severino, Batances, and Miller in the fourth year of his contract closing it out with Lindgren. That's a Stanton Nelson Rivera clone right there. Pretty exciting, no? I would say so. You would have a starting rotation of ending in vowels still. Yep. Tanaka Pineda, Ovaldi, Nova Severino. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Brian Mitchell hanging around there, you know, as like the El Duque type. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of comes in out of nowhere every once in a while. It's pretty exciting. It is. It's going to be a few years away, I, but there's a process to get there. It doesn't happen overnight. I truly hope it happens. I do. We, you might lose one or two in a trade. Yep. You might, you know, that might not happen as exactly the way G- Lou said it. Gary Sanchez may be that guy. Right. The, the luster's off him. Maybe because you have Slade, Mason Williams, Ruin Flores, Tyler Austin, maybe one or two of those guys go. Because there's going to be some hard, as, as hard as the decisions will be on the major league roster in the near future, it's going to be even harder on the 40-man because Bird's coming eligible for 40-man. Judge will be there in a couple of years. He's still got time. He's only in his third pro season, so he's got one more year. But Ref Snyder's due. Bird is due. Jagailo's going to be due after next year like Judge. Dante Bichette is there. Junior. Yep, Dante Bichette Jr. is there. Mason's already there. You know, Mason's already there. Flores is already there. Austin's already there. Those guys are there. There's going to be some hard decisions. Somebody's going to go. Pitchers. Domingo Herman, who had Tommy John surgery. Does he get a fourth option? If, if he does, he's down there. It, after that, though, he's not going to probably pitch above double A next year. What do you do with him? He's electric. What do you do with Ian Clarkin? What do you do with Brady Lale, who's been very good in Tampa? Severino's going to need to go on the 40 mar- There's There's a lot of decisions. The Yankees have an embarrassment of riches at a lot of places now. But now into next year is the part where you've got to look and see, just like Han and Humpty and Michael and Don said the other night, 
when they were talking about the Mets going to the six-man rotation. Eventually, you're going to have to figure out which one of those guys you think is going to be the least of the group, and that's the one you look to trade to bring in something else. For the Yankees, it's going to be which of the Mason Williams, Slade Heathcott, Tyler Austin era is going to be the least of your, the least useful, for lack of a better word, to you to maybe package in a trade to go get, maybe it's Tulowitzki. Maybe it's a Cole Hamels type arm in a couple years if the rotation keeps going the way it does. Maybe it's something else. Those are the kind of decisions that are coming up. It's going to be an interesting three years. It's going to be an interesting three years for the Yankees, and guess what? It's going to be an interesting night for Rangers fans as I go back and do a callback here. And it's uh, going to be an interesting day for soccer fans too because wasn't the election of uh, whichever crook is in charge, wasn't he supposed to be reelected today? You're asking, you might as well be speaking Japanese. Yeah, I know we don't talk about soccer a lot on this podcast, but how about that? FIFA's crooked. The only thing I can compare it to is, like, imagine if the NCAA got busted because Mike Slive and um, what's the Big East commissioner's name? It's on the tip of my tongue. I know the old one, Trangisi. Yeah, but those guys are, like, those guys are taking bribes to keep the Power Five conferences in the tournament, and Mark Emmert stands there like, oh, I don't know nothing about it. Mm -hmm. Like Schultz. I know nothing? Yeah. Well, amazing. Yeah. There's our soccer talk for the year. There you We're go. Done. I'm done. Thank God. Somebody, I got to say this though. Somebody, somebody called into, uh, or it was the Today Show. I was watching the Today Show on Wednesday when all this broke because I was up that early. I went to the stadium. And the guy who was talking about FIFA's problems was clearly British or Australian, some kind of foreign accent speaking English. And he compared the World Cup and Cotter where it's going to be 175 degrees on the field for the entirety of the tournament, to Major League Baseball playing the World Series on Martha's Vineyard. I thought you were going to say Mars. No. And I laughed because I'm like, you know what? On one hand, yes, it'd be, it's almost impossible to get to Martha's Vineyard, and there's no stadium there, and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But on the other hand, it's like, I think a better comparison would be Alaska. You're playing a World Series at night when it's 12 degrees. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. I just laugh, though, because I'm like, that's... Man up. You can kind of tell when somebody doesn't necessarily understand something as well as they, they mean to. And he's like, oh, it's like having the World Series in Martha's Vineyard. Like me with soccer? Like, that would be pretty pleasant, actually. I'm sure Martha's Vineyard is lovely in October. So is the Bronx. So hopefully we'll, hopefully we'll have 50,000 people find out this year, right? With some kids up. With like some kids I said, up. yeah. You're going to love Ref Snyder, everybody. I, you are. You're, You're going to love Bird. You're going to love all you these guys. Are. You're going to love Judge if you don't love Judge already. You should, because I asked them about him, too. And the- and I can't wait for Sterling's home run call, because you know it's going to be like the judge sentences one to the right field seats. I, I had one already. Oh, yeah? All rise as the judge leaves. Aaron. The Aaron is, apparent. Aaron is a judge, jury, and executioner of that baseball. Oh, that's nice. There you go. Anyway, uh Yeah. Uh, now I have to get into hockey mode where I'm going to pace frivolously uh, as my cardio workout until the puck drops at 8 Just remember, folks, if the Texas Rangers were smarter, Joaquin Arias could have been the starting second baseman of the New York Yankees for the last nine years. That's what I'm going to leave you with. I-, I was talking about the New York Rangers. I know. Okay. But you said Rangers, so it reminded me of that, that I wanted to mention that about Cano ah. when we were talking about all the infield stuff. And gotcha. the Ranger- Texas Rangers were smarter. Robinson Cano might be their starting second baseman. Well, he's in the West. Close enough. Well, 
division yet. I got to give A-Rod props, Cities, too. no. I got to give A-Rod props, too, because a lot of the things he says are very care- – he, he speaks carefully, even though he speaks honestly. And somebody asked him about being third in the all-star balloting at DH, and he was like, you know, it's a great honor. The fans dream He was like, Nelson Cruz is a great hair. It's a smart choice by the fans. There you go. I mean – Right out of A-Rod's mouth. But he's been doing that all season. Yeah. He's been saying the right thing. But Nelson so. Cruz is a beast. He is. I mean, come on. All right. Let's wrap this up so we can get it out there for the people. Uh, the peeps. I can go edit yeah, and then we, eat my salad. We got to uh, gotta get Kenny Albert out there before the game tonight, and mm-hmm. uh, we will promote the heck out of this on Twitter. I don't have to do any editing. I just got to tag on the music. That's it. There you go. Well, a little bit of editing. A little bit. When he hung up. When he hung up. Yeah, that's it. We're letting you in on back, you know, behind the scenes. If and when now. we re-periscope these things, you'll see all of this. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, we couldn't do it today because you can't hear you can't hear Kenny, so it, yep. it kind of takes away from the periscope. But we will start doing that again. For Lou DePietro, I'm Chris Sheeran. Follow us on the Twitter machine at Lou DePietro, yes, at Chris Sheeran, yes. We'll see you next time on hashtag Chris Sheeran Show on YesNetwork.com and the iTunes. Later, everybody. <laughs>